Hello and very welcome to our EA Debates. Today we're talking about reconstructing Europe and in particular looking at the challenges faced by member states. My name is Jennifer Baker. I will be your moderator today putting your questions to our very knowledgeable panel. Now the EU's post-pandemic recovery has to focus on a green recovery, delivering on some of the Commission's aims and that must lay the foundations for a new understanding of the construction industry because buildings are responsible for about 40% of the EU's energy consumption and about 36% of greenhouse gas emissions from energy, but only 1% of buildings undergo an energy efficient renovation every year. So we need to see that double, that is the aim, to see a doubling of those renovation rates in the next 10 years and to make sure they yield better and more efficient energy and reduce Europe's greenhouse gas emissions. They're also going to use digitalization. We're going to talk about all these issues and particularly look at how that's impacting the southern eastern European states in particular. Joining me to talk about that, I have, as I say, a great high-level panel representing industry and policymakers. So with no further ado, let me introduce to you Fulvia Raffaelli, who is the head of unit construction within DG Grow in the European Commission. We also have Svetlina Penkova, who's an MEP and member of the ITRA and REGI committees within the European Parliament. Tsaba Borlibi is a member of the ENVI committee at the Committee of the Regions. Gonzalo Sanchez is a policy officer for circular economy and carbon neutrality in the building sector at the EEB. Domenico Campogrande is general director of the European Construction and Industry Federation, FIAC. And last but not least, Kalin Peshov is vice chairman of the Bulgarian Construction Chamber and chairman of the supervisory board of Glav Bolgarstroy. Thank you all very much for joining me today and taking the time to discuss what is a big and meaty topic? There is an awful lot of moving parts in the construction industry. Fulvia, let me start with you. Give us your opening thoughts. Tell us a bit about what's happening from the Commission perspective. Well, thank you, Jennifer, uh, and thank you for the opportunity. Indeed, the construction ecosystem is a particularly large one and very important for the EU economy altogether. From the 14 ecosystem we identified in the industrial policy communication, this is the second most important in terms of employment and value added, offering up to around 55 million jobs uh, uh, and a very important big value added. It is today very, very important indeed to speak about construction because uh, let's be honest that without a full and deep transition of the construction ecosystem, the ambitious objective for climate neutrality, but also of uh, relaunch of our EU economy will just not be achieved. And, uh, and the uh, construction sector is central not only for sustainability objective, but also for the relaunch of the economy, for the creation of jobs, quality of life of each one of us, including, of course, for the low-income low households. Uh, let me very, let me be very clear on this point. President von der Leyen made that very clear that no one has to be left behind. So no European citizens will be left behind. The Commission is assessing, monitoring possible impact closely and put adequate funding in place uh, through, for example, Social Climate Fund and Affordable Housing Initiative. With the National Recovery and Reform Plans, member states have uh, the possibility to really, really make that happen. 
and it's a great opportunity for all these different achievements. The Commission stands ready to support the member states and create platforms for the exchange of best practices and see how can we really together use this opportunity to not only decarbonize but modernize, make that digital and also resilient, the prepare for the future, the construction ecosystem altogether. The steel sector has been set with the Fit to 55 package and the digital uh, uh, Europe fit for the digital age. Now we're working together with industry stakeholders and member states for uh, drafting together the transition pathways and making those changes really happening. Looking forward to the next intervention. Uh, Jennifer, back to you. Thank you very much for setting that out for us. It's a good backgrounder to have as we start our discussion. Svetlina, let me turn to you. Um, tell us what is the primary focus of the European Parliament at the moment in delivering these packages that Fulvia just mentioned? Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, and uh, it's a very good to, to be speaking after Fulvia because she really set up the ground. And I just want to confirm the fact that uh, we are definitely aiming to fulfill the goals of the Green Deal, despite some of the difficulties we faced uh, through COVID, especially when we're speaking about the uh, construction business. It is very important to see that we do acknowledge the fact that the disruption supply chains in the last 18 months had a very uh, strong effect in terms of the increasing of the price of the raw materials that affect very specifically uh, the construction materials in the, the EU and of course the construction business overall. I wouldn't even dare to make a differentiation here between uh, Central and Eastern Europe and Western Europe because I genuinely think that that effect had been split in all uh, parts and regions of Europe. You've asked me specifically about the focus of the European Parliament. Of course, together with the Commission, the main focus at the moment is the Fit for 55 package. So um, in that matter, I'll just use my, uh, my time to emphasize on a very important uh, package of um, a very important directive, actually, uh, which um, I'll be uh, working on uh, as a member of the Committee of um, Committee on Industry Research and um, um, Energy, ITRE, as you've already mentioned. The directive is the um, energy performance of buildings. Uh, this, uh, it has been released in uh, 2002 and it has been revised twice since then. At the moment, uh, it is considered a part of the renovation waste strategy uh, that the Commission published in 2020. And the main idea, as uh, Fulvio already said and mentioned, is to uh, make sure that the construction business is supported and it leads to uh, higher energy and uh, resource-efficient uh, buildings in Europe. So, um, according to the last data, the Commission foresees that by 2030, more than 35 million buildings in Europe should be renovated, which would result in more than 150,000 additional green jobs created in the construction sector. So this is just like the background information of the importance of, uh, of that uh, directive. Um, I would just want to re-emphasize the two main objectives we're looking at at the moment, because as I've already mentioned, it's an update 
and it is uh, working hand by hand with the priorities of the Green Deal. So the two main objectives of the directive would be that all newly constructed buildings should be zero emission buildings from 2030, which is quite important. So everything we are planning as infrastructure projects going forward should be zero emission. The second objective, of course, is for existing buildings where um, there are standards and specific requirements which are proposed that, uh, for instance, for the worst performing 15% buildings in each of the member states, so the worst energy efficient building, the lowest 15%, should be upgraded at least one energy efficiency class. So they should be upgraded at least from G to F. And here we also have two specific deadlines. When we're speaking about those upgrades, uh, we're speaking for uh, 2027 as a deadline for non-residential buildings and 2030 as a deadline for residential buildings. So I guess this confirms uh, more or less, um, as I've already mentioned, our main goals and targets that from 2030, we want to ensure that the sector is support and it is moving in line with our objectives for reducing the greenhouse emissions, for increasing the energy efficiency of the buildings, and of course, um, reducing the energy bills for households. Thank you. Back to you, Jennifer. Thank you. You've covered a lot there, and I know we will be picking up on some of those points in more detail. I'll turn now to Saba Borboli, who's from the Committee of the Regions. Now, we know different member states face different challenges in different regions within them, but there are some unifying challenges on an environmental level that I think we can say are spread evenly throughout Europe. What's your sense on what the big challenges are in terms of energy and the environment? Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, these uh, opportunities. Uh, dear your active team, dear participants, thank you for the invitation and uh, for the opportunity to represent today the point of view of the Committee of the Regions regarding the key role of the energy system and energy policies is uh, the transition towards a climate neutral economy through COR opinion and towards a socially fair implementation of the Green Deal. Uh, I would like to congratulate for the activities and initiatives regarding this conference and for the committed work by sharing solution information to identify the best long-term vision for the new economic and environment challenges in Europe. In the opinion and the towards in social fair implementation of the Green Deal, we were focused on the social consequences of the green transitions and uh, to offer uh, solutions. Thank you very much. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time and showing your flexible working standards there from a, from a remote space. Um, Gonzalo, let me turn to you. Give me the, the, the circular economy and carbon neutral perspective of this. Hi, thank you very much, and thank you very much for inviting me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, I would like to, to highlight a few points in my first intervention, as the European Union is facing a pivotal moment for the economy and the construction sector as a crucial role in this. 
And I want to repeat that I don't want to repeat the environmental impact that the construction sector has, as uh, was mentioned before. But I would like to highlight that if the drive for a sustainable sector is not achieved, neither is a decarbonized Europe. And there is a lot of issues to consider in these discussions. Uh, and as mentioned, I would like to focus on two of them: the CO2 emissions generated by the sector and the supply chain of construction materials. Firstly, uh, we need to be conscious that we don't have endless materials resources. And secondly, we have a maximum of CO2 emissions to be generated if we don't want to exceed the carbon budget. So therefore, we have limits to comply. And uh, the recovery plans are the opportunity to pay the way for these chains. And for this purpose, we have to work on making a whole like carbon and circular approaches the norm in buildings to reduce the operational and embody CO2 emissions and the consumption of raw materials. These two perspectives should be part of the policy approach, mainly in the EPPD and the CPR, and should be implemented through the renovation wave and the renovation plans. And well, in the current situation, the construction sector continues thinking in a linear way, striking materials, processing and consuming them, and disposing of them. And we need to think about the alternative, proposing another business model. And we, if we still think linearly, we, have, uh, we will have supply problems, high prices, and difficulties to build new buildings. We have to propose alternative that provides answers to create new jobs, which must be environmental and sustainable. And in that sense, focusing on renovations against new buildings, the promotion of circularity and the carbon approach are assets of big potential that has been not been adequately developed in Europe so far. Currently, uh, we have an historical opportunity to begin this change using the recovery funds and the renovation wave. And for this, we also need a clear political commitment to facilitate these changes. So I will leave it here. I'm looking forward to continuing the discussions. Thank you. Domenico, representing the industry side, I mean, there's a lot of pressure going to be put on the construction sector to deliver all these very lofty and admirable aims. What's your perspective? Thank you very much. Good afternoon to everyone. First of all, uh, please allow me to, to say uh, a few words about FIEG because maybe not all of the participants know what FIEG is. It's an umbrella organization uh, representing 32 national member federations from uh, 27, 27 sorry, different countries. And uh, BCC, the Bulgarian uh, Building Construction Chamber, is one of our main uh, main member. And it's good to see an, uh, such an important member from Central and Eastern Europe active in a, in a European organization. We represent construction companies of all sizes. So not only the big ones, but also the very small ones and doing all kinds of construction activity, some from renovation to uh, works to very large infrastructure works. And we are also uh, recognized as social partner at European level. I think this is important. Um, what I could say at this stage is that construction is certainly a very important sector. It was mentioned by Fulvia Raffaelli. It represents uh, almost 10% of the EU GDP, but it is also a very fragmented sector. Uh, not only because it is made up mainly by very small companies, but all, also if we look at uh, what's happening in Brussels, there are more than 50, so five zero European organizations uh, who have a connection, a link with the, with the construction activity, uh, which 
makes the overall weight of, uh, of our ecosystem, as it is called now, sometimes uh, relatively lower than other industrial sector. This was the case until recently, but now, as was said, with the new priorities, uh, especially in the environment part, uh, they have put our ecosystem really at a central point with a, an extremely important role to play in, uh, in the achievement of these uh, main objectives. And at this stage, I just would like maybe to highlight three points that we can develop further in the discussion, but I think they are important in this respect. It's first of all that the, the new policies, whether on the environment part or also as regards digitalization, they will imply a much stronger cooperation between the different stakeholders along the value chain. So this is something that we need to address also at the different level between the designer, the material producers, the builders that we represent, the clients as well. This is the first point. Second point is that we have in front of us uh, a unique opportunity because with the environmental policies and digitalization, uh, in, in addition to bringing a lot of activity for, for our companies, they also provide an opportunity as a sector to attract more young people and women because we are a sector which has in general a, a not very good reputation and with these new policies we believe that we can play really a stronger role also in attracting younger people uh, to, um, to our sector. And this is also a link to the third point that I would like to make is that it's good to have this perspective inside but you need also to give the companies the possibility to answer this increasing demand. And at the moment, companies all over Europe are facing difficulties in finding uh, workers with the right skills. Uh, so the main message is also that besides these two big pillars, though the environmental, the digital one, we should not forget also everything related to uh, training, education, upskilling and reskilling of workers, because without this workforce, the companies will not be able to uh, to prove to answer the big demand that we are facing to. For the moment, I, I will stop here and we'll certainly be able to develop these, these topics later on in the discussion. Thank you very much indeed. We are going to mention those uh, upskilling and unskilled labor questions later on as well. Um, Carlin, let me come to you. Um, obviously, uh, Domenico there has trailed you by mentioning already the BCC and, of course, Glav Bolger's story behind today's event. Why is it so important to you that we talk about this now? Uh, thank you very much. And uh, it's not easy to speak uh, after all the high-level speakers and visioneers uh, we just had, but uh, I'll try anyway. Uh, protecting the nature is a way of uh, securing our survival. And sooner we understand that, uh, the better will be the outcome of all the efforts we are doing to keep the planet. I mean, it's not like uh, we are protecting just the trees or the lakes or whatever. We are just uh, ensuring uh, that uh, the place we live and the place next generation will live uh, will stay clean and uh, we'll be able to, to survive here. Uh, there is a Latin saying, ad astra per aspera, which means something like uh, uh, through hardship, uh, reach the stars. I mean, we had all the troubles and uh, hard times recently, and uh, they are still here in the construction. Uh, we had COVID, now we have uh, post-COVID uh, challenges, uh, we have uh, high inflation, we have uh, uh, the new prices of the materials. I'm saying new prices because they are not even comparable with the old one. At the same time, we have uh, energy prices raised, 
So all these challenges, I mean, we have to work hard uh, and not forget uh, that uh, with all these uh, with all these issues, we have to keep the the, the planet clean. And uh, at the time we are constructing to to do our job the way it should be done without damaging uh, uh, everything around us. I mean, the construction sector is very interesting. We are building beautiful houses. Uh, we are building the roads where people go to work. Uh, we are building airports where people go vacations, for example. But uh, as you mentioned, we are responsible for a yeah, great uh, part of the pollution uh, we are doing. So we have to do our homework. And uh, I like the, the approach of Mr. Sanchez. He just said that we have to have proposals, not only talk about the numbers, and yeah, there are many things we definitely have to do. The circle economy, uh, using the the construction waste uh, to to work again as a construction material, uh, producing electricity from the nature resources as air and sun and uh, whatever. It's uh, definitely we have to we have to do this in order to to secure our survival. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Fulvia, you heard there, um, particularly from, from the industry side, about the need for there to be a lot of joined up thinking all along the various points of the supply chain when it comes to delivering on the objectives. How do you get involve all the different stakeholders into a complex policy discussion like this? For example, before and after construction, conceptualizing, planning, all these different stages that go into it. Indeed, Jennifer, this is a big challenge in a system, in an ecosystem as the one of construction, where, as said uh, Domenico and Fiek, uh, uh, the amount of uh, the number of small, medium enterprises is uh, uh, is enormous, and also the different actors that are involved into the ecosystem are very different from each other. The challenge is really to connect and to inflate, let's say, in the the, uh, uh, in the ecosystem, the concept of uh, uh, life cycle, because we need to start thinking from the very beginning, actually before entering into the uh, into the work, into the works, we need to design uh, uh, not only the new buildings, but also the renovation works in a way that keep in mind the challenges ahead of us. And for doing that, we need indeed, as uh, already referred to, uh, clear ideas of where we go, and then uh, um, workforce that is in the position to uh, to advise also the contractors, to advise the tenants, to advise the user, the, the inhabitants uh, uh, about uh, the best way to deliver these uh, um, these objectives, and the um, with the transition pathways, this exercise has been launched in the last industrial. Uh, um, policy communication, we uh, intend to create a platform for designing together with the uh, stakeholders and the member states a pathways that would really make this transition happening. We published uh, just before Christmas break on the 15th of December a Safwoki document that is actually mapping the different uh, 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 initiatives already ongoing. 
and uh, ask actually um, contribution to all of you to identify where the gaps are, where the uh, we can still uh, um, we need uh, new initiatives, so where the synergies among the different uh, opportunities initiatives uh, uh, can be strengthened, but also to give visibility to the different actors and commitments that are already ongoing. There is a lot going on down there. Industry is very committed, as well as many members states that um, in the recovery plans actually made of construction and that's particularly true for the southern countries a big priority for the uh, recovery plans so um, the transition pathway is actually open for a consultation at the end of uh, february i take the opportunity to really invite you all to uh, participate into the uh, into the um, public opinion consultation but then, of course, we'll also have uh, more opportunities to exchange because actually uh, the network, the synergies, and the uh, um, links actually uh, begin amongst the different actors are really crucial to achieve uh, not only, as said, the digital and, and um, green transition, but also to strengthen the resilience of the ecosystem uh, to future hopefully uh, far away uh, additional shocks that could emerge uh, from different angles. Thank you. Thank you, Fulvia. Thank you very much. I think uh, we can see that Saba's having some connection issues at the moment. We'll get a question to him if he manages to reconnect. But I do see already we've got a lot of questions coming in from our audience already. So I'm going to go straight away, uh, Svetlina, to you, a question that has come in. The renovation of worst performing buildings is, of course, a priority of the energy performance of buildings recast. But how do we align these renovations with the long term objective of climate neutrality? Upgrading of only one energy class may lead to suboptimal choices and a lock in effect, suggests our, uh, our representative there actually from the European Copper Institute is asking you that question, Svetlina. Well, of course, I completely agree that it is not going to be resolving completely the problem. But uh, that's um, as I started when I was describing the the update of the directive. The first objective is going to be to focus on the newly constructed buildings. Of course, though, we have to take into account that we're speaking about Europe. So we have a lot of uh, already constructed uh, facilities that we need to be taking care of. So this is just a sample example of like prioritizing uh, the existing ones and starting the ones which are the worst, worst performing. Because the idea is if we have the newly constructed one fully meeting the zero emission requirements, and if we start uh, renovating the worst performing one, like this would balance out like after 2030. So it's just going to give us more time to let's say to take care of the ones in the middle if you want to put it like that so that's why we said the worst performing ones and in terms of the fair question if it's sufficient to have only one category of course it is not but then again when we're talking about that we need to be thinking of um, energy and resource efficiency and of course the consumers because we cannot just pass on the whole cost of the renovations and achieving those goals to the consumers uh, at the end. So uh, there are limited resources to be uh, to be dealing on that matter. So more or less, it is kind of trying to balance out everything. Not yes, indeed. I'm 
<laughs> um, Saba, let me come to you. Um, I know you're interested in the involvement of local and regional authorities. Tell me a bit more about how you see their role in terms of delivering on the, uh, the Fit for 55 package, the reduction, the Green Deal and all of these other EU-level objectives. As I mentioned in the introduction part, we were focused on the special consequences of the green transition and the offer solutions. The fact of setting a carbon price for the building and the transport sectors within the ETS mechanism will cause an increase in the price for fossil fuels, which will have significant social and distribution impacts that uh, may disproportionately affect vulnerable householders. Uh, vulnerable micro-enterprises and vulnerable transport users who spend a larger part of their incomes on the energy and transport and who in uh, certain regions do not have access to alternative affordable mobility and transport solutions. Such impacts uh, on vulnerable groups uh, differ not only between member states but also between regions and price impacts are likely to be felt more strongly in the member states uh, states, regions and populations with lower average income in less developed regions. Most of the measures needed to achieve climate goals have a specific uh, territorial dimension and local and regional authorities are the best place to access uh, the necessary policies on the local level. In the light of the new measure changes in the energy market uh, discussion, uh, need to be made within the responsible institutions on the energy strategy, the National Integrated Energy Plan, on the amendment of the energy law and the other protection of the vulnerable consumers. In Romania, the general increase of price on the energy uh, market has mainly affected consumers, but also suppliers, many of whom are in difficult financial situation. There are regions in Europe where fire food uh, is uh, used for heating and cooking, not as a part of luxury lifestyle, but as a sign of poverty. The recast of the tax directive and the ETS for household uh, both going the affect these consumers. Also, there are regions across Europe where district heating and cooling might be a more reliable, more efficient and affordable solution for citizens. The determination of environment taxes should be accompanied by the compensatory measures such as lower labor incomes, taxes or social security contributions targeted at the vulnerable and lower income households, make micro enterprises and transport users complementing the objectives on the instrument of the social climate fund. As for the construction sector, member states should have more suitable and flexible rules in these areas. They should adapt, uh, update urban and land use planning, access to constructions, permits related practices, aiming at lower taxes, costs, and avoid uh, rate tape. As, uh, ask uh, ask uh, the Commission to cover this from the new fund. So the challenge is common, and uh, we need to act cohesively to ensure that the good solutions are not excluded from the development of final documents related of the social fair implementation of the Green Deal. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. And Asaba, I know we have to let you go now, but we do appreciate you taking the time en route to join us today for the discussion. You mentioned several things there that I will be picking up on as we, uh, we have another 45 minutes of discussion with my other panelists. So thank you for that. Um, again, we've got lots of questions coming in from our audience, but Carlin, I'm going to come back to you just to see if you've got reactions to what you've heard so far from the other speakers. Yeah, so thank you very much. Uh, it was uh, very interesting also to see the approach of uh, Romania. As you know, it's uh, we in the Eastern Europe uh, are part of the yeah, most uh, challenging uh, uh, facing countries, and uh, it's uh, it's very complicated uh, uh, to be. I wouldn't say exactly poor, but to have a lack of really access uh, uh, to to enough uh, to enough resources, and at the same time to be green. Uh, so really, the, the Eastern Europe is facing this challenge that we are trying to 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 get to the mission to keep the nature and to uh, and to follow the green deal. But at the same time, uh, it's uh, very recently uh, we had uh, some more, more I would say serious issues. Uh, so it's uh, very complicated uh, with the highest prices. Uh, and uh, with the existing uh, situation to to really to really keep the the right path uh, of being green but at the same time i would like to i would like to mention a couple of uh, couple of options uh, we can we can do this without damaging uh, uh, the investment and uh, and the cash which is going into the construction sector and uh, into the into the economy itself uh, i mean uh, taking, for example, the circle economies, uh, we made uh, we made an investigation in our company, and we find out that uh, from the simple residential uh, uh, building, we can see everywhere, like the one of the 90 apartments, uh, you have uh, roughly 300 tons uh, of waste construction materials. It's really a lot. Uh, meaning, if you buy one apartment somewhere uh, in Europe, uh, that uh, you are you're helping uh, to produce half of a truck of a waste uh, of construction materials which is put somewhere so it's definitely if you put this uh, into the uh, i mean a reproduction of a really new construction materials when they can be put down uh, back into the into the process you can make uh, here a lot improvement uh, of the of the whole nature and, uh, and the society. So there are ways, even when uh, we are a little bit uh, more challenging in the Eastern Europe, uh, still to keep the nature and uh, and to go forward. Thank you indeed, very much building on the circular economy approach and uh, recycling. And, and of course, we're talking about the full life cycle of the construction sector. So indeed, bringing into focus construction demolition waste there as well. Now, um, we do have uh, some more questions coming in from our audience. Uh, Gloria Hustrova has asked, how will the transition to carbon neutrality affect prices in the building sector? Um, I'm wondering whether business was, will be able to cope with higher prices of construction materials. Perhaps, um, perhaps Gonzalo, you could uh, speak to that, um, and then we'll hear maybe as well from Domenico. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, we need to think about this issue in a comprehensive way. As if we focus just the discussion in the price of the materials, we don't see the whole picture. And the whole picture is that the construction sector needs to change in a, compre in a comprehensive way. And uh, we need to propose green businesses for the construction sector. And we need to start to think about this linear approach 
in which the prices are increasing because you don't have the supply chain and think about the materials and the resources that we have around us. And this is the key point. And um, why we cannot support the circularity approach to reduce the price of the materials. This is because there are some different barriers on, on, on these points. It has been said that one of the barriers is that we don't have the demand or we don't have the supply to, to provide these secondary materials that could reduce these uh, high prices. But at the same time, uh, we don't have a clear political uh, commitment with this. Demand generates supplies and the demand has to be promoted. We can argue about the system facilities, but we should uh, think about how we can make this mandatory or create a framework to promote this demand and this supply. And this is the importance of the EPBD and the CPR revision. We don't know yet what the proposal from the commission will be about the CPR, but uh, in the EPBD, uh, just aims to reporting on whole light carbon and circularity is not mentioned as an effective tool to reduce the CO2 emissions. And if this revision fails on including an ambition pathway and approach for circularity and whole light carbon, this will send a message for the industry, for the, for the market that this is not a, a way to go through. And this is our concern because we really know or really think that it's possible to reduce these prices when a local market based on circularity, based on this sufficiency um, approach could reduce these uh, high prices and which is also more important, promote new jobs. And this is another key point. It's a new employment pathway for many people is promoted new businesses based on secondary materials will be created at the local level, because as you already know, the construction sector has um, is widely spread through the territory. And this is not enough to change one company what big, or two big companies. We need to change the business model. And based on this, based on this approach on circularity, based on this local engagement of uh, companies and uh, users with the, this clear vision and pathway um, done from the political approach is the way uh, to reduce these uh, prices in the, in, the, in the medium term. But if we're still thinking about this linear economy, we don't see that these prices will be increased in the, in the short time. Domenico, I'm really keen to hear your perspective on this as well. So the same, if you can address the same topic um, from, from your side. Yes, I think there are two aspects in the question in relation to, to prices. If we look at the current situation, we see indeed an, an increase, a strong increase in prices of material products, which are partly due also still to the COVID pandemic, to the supply chains and to the increased demand. This is one part of the, the equation. The other part is related to what uh, was just mentioned by the previous uh, intervention. So changing the business model uh, and, and going from a linear to a more circular approach. And in this respect, I would like to underline one uh, issue which is uh, really uh, of concern, which is the, the framework, the legislative framework, which uh, is around this. And I will give you just very one practical example. Uh, we had a feedback from our Swedish colleague that um, uh, a limestone quarry in Sweden had to be closed down 
because of the environmental legislation, which is fine. Uh, the problem is that this quarry was uh, pro providing almost 70% of the cement that is used in Sweden. So we're talking here about a local production. And now, because of this situation, uh, where does the Swedish in the construction industry will take the, the cement that it needs? Will it need to be imported from China or from other parts? So here, just this example to illustrate that the framework has a, is playing a key role also in facilitating the implementation of a more circular approach. And in this respect, uh, I would like to thank especially Fulvia Raffelli and her team in the construction unit because they are sitting in a, in a central wall where, where they are our main contact point for the different parts of the commission which are dealing with the environmental, the social part and, and, and other aspects. And this is where really we need uh, in cooperation with the industry together with the commission to ensure that the legislative framework is a coherent one and allows precisely what was said to have this change in, in the business model from a linear to a more circular. At the moment, we still have some incoherences between the, the different perspectives, different legislative frameworks. Uh, they lead also to increased costs. Uh, and, and this has to be addressed. And I think the approach that the construction unit from DigiGrow has introduced is good, a dialogue between the legislator and, and the industry. Well, Fulvia, I'm, I'm going to come back to you there um, to, to react to that. And we have some questions coming in from our audience as well on nearly zero energy buildings. But I'll let you react first to what you've heard so far. Well, thank you, Jennifer, and thank you to all the panelists. Yes, we are a bit the, uh, strongly convinced uh, of this uh, life cycle approach and the fact of connecting all the different dots, because uh, there are several many initiatives uh, at the moment uh, at the EU level, at the national level, even uh, very often at the local level affecting the construction uh, ecosystem. And we need to connect the dots and to really uh, facilitate the synergies and eliminating any barrier. I'm very much uh, um, with uh, with Gonzalo with EB on the fact that the construction sector can also stimulate a demand for more circular approach. We've been working already, um, I mean, through creating, let's say, improving the quality of the construction demolition waste with the view to support an emerging market for the secondary raw material. And we will, I can confirm, we're working on the construction product regulation and we will incorporate into that uh, regulation ways of promoting actually the uptaking of. Uh, um, recycled material uh, fully aligned with the work that colleagues are doing on the sustainable product initiatives. Um, it is, uh, and uh, we, we, we are uh, very much in line with what uh, has been said before. Uh, we believe that, um, in, let's say, construction can be, can also stimulate the demand and uh, construction, more sustainable construction products are a key enabler to get to more sustainable built environment. Of course, they're not the only ingredient because you don't only need sustainable construction products, you also need a design and, and also um, an infrastructure that would allow the um, maximizing and minimizing actually the impact that the use face and then afterwards 
a, a, a clear um, way of promoting the data sharing across the life cycle to facilitate the right decision at the right moment. This is also why the digitalization of data is so important uh, to really uh, make each one of the decisions that are taken across the life cycle of a, a building in the most informed way with the um, aim to minimize the environmental impact and maximize the efficiencies in the use of resources. So digital logbooks uh, are also uh, one of our projects uh, uh, on which we're working very intensively. Um, together with the colleagues actually um, working on the EPBD and the, uh, with the view to, to connect uh, all the data which are produced uh, um, across the value chain and making them available for informed uh, decisions all across the life cycle. So looking forward indeed to, to work more and to connect more dots. Well, thank you for that. Um, I have a question uh, that you might be well-placed to answer, and Carlin as well, I think. Thomas Trubacic, uh, Buildings for Chance, is saying, do you think that it's feasible to have the same standard for new constructions as for renovations, as proposed by the Commission, within the nearly zero energy buildings till 2030 and then zero energy buildings after that? Uh, he is suggesting that this might lower the overall ambitions because for a new build to make the standard accessible for more difficult renovations as well. Um, it's, it's something that it's trying to marry up two different areas. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Fulvia? Well, we'll see. I mean, the, the discussion is now ongoing uh, uh, at the co among the co-legislators. So we're, of course, listening to uh, continent parliament on, on this one. But I think it's important to have a common objective that can be uh, pursued uh, at different levels in renovation or in the construction of new buildings. But the ambition should remain the same. That's the signal that the uh, Commission wanted to give at the time of the uh, adoption of the proposal. Then, uh, of course, we will listen to the, uh, the co-legislator and we're following that very closely. But I think the, from our perspective, that was the important message to give, is that the ambitious really has to be maximum uh, either for new buildings or for renovation. Don't forget the 75% of the buildings in Europe today are uh, to be renewed. I mean, they are underperforming in terms of uh, energy efficiency. So we can't really um, abandon that. We need to uh, really push uh, the two, um, so the building uh, stocks, the existing one, and not only concentrating on the new one. So. Um, I think that's the message we want to give through the renovation wave and now uh, through the uh, um, energy performance building directive. We need really to maximize the, uh, uh, the, the, the ambitions and the, the goals at the two stages, although being, of course, very different processes. Thank you. Gonzalez, I think you wanted to add something on this point as well. Yeah, well, it was uh, just a quick remark on the previous um, discussion because uh, what I would like to highlight, I mean, I agree with uh, some of the states that Fluvia said, but we need to be conscious that there is no European policies that make security mandatory. Is there still promotion? Is there still something to uh, support? But this is not included in the law. And why should I build using secondary materials if there is not clear legislative and political commitment to do so. 
if it's not mandatory? And why should I make invest on this? And uh, this is the, the point. We don't have a clear pathway to promote the circularity in the core of the of the European policies. And this is why it's important the CPBD revision and the CPR revision, because we need to send send a clear message on this. And this is also in, uh, important to think about the inclusion of circular minimal requirements in the EPBD and the CPR to send a clear message that circularity is the next step to make business, to make a green business, and to promote this another kind of uh, business that we want to see. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> You're asking some big questions there. Thank you very much. Um, Colin, let me turn to you now um, and ask you to reflect again on that question that we had um, regarding the differences between setting the same standard for both renovations and new builds. Yeah, thank you. First of all, uh, I would like to, uh, to jump to the previous one, that uh, uh, that's not only a problem of the political will and to putting uh, uh, really a, a pressure of the weight uh, of the recycling of the construction materials, but it's also a problem of communication between the society uh, of the, uh, with the investors as well. Because, for example, we are trying to, to put in place uh, in Bulgaria a factory for recycling of the construction materials from making from uh, garbage uh, really renewable materials but it's very difficult because the communication with the society uh, is uh, missing completely and then no one agrees to have such a factory in his area you face all the small municipalities those bigger ones they just don't want to have it uh, close to them or there so it's uh, kind of we really like it it's very important for us but no one wants to see such a factory close to him or near its home or whatever uh, which jeopardizes uh, the whole idea i mean even if someone wants to invest and uh, you find the resources or whatever at the end of the day it's really complicated uh, uh, to obtain uh, a place uh, for such uh, for such investment in the circular economy and the second uh, question about uh, about the different standards between the new and uh, the renovated buildings it's uh, yeah as uh, has been mentioned uh, previously like 70% of the buildings in Europe they don't cover the requirements uh, for energy efficiency uh, so definitely the standards uh, has to has to comply on that uh, difference and uh, and to make for uh, whatever investors or clients uh, or construction companies uh, or state uh, to make the process uh, simpler and to empower empower the investments in that uh, to go smoothly. Domenico, uh, your thoughts, please. Thank you. Just would like to uh, to comment briefly to what was said earlier, uh, where it was said that there needs to be more let's say legislative prescriptions in order to ensure that everything is implemented i don't think that everything needs to be done through legislation if we look at for example uh, the public procurement uh, legislation which is exist which is sufficiently flexible uh, there are means through that procurement to allow innovation to allow companies to propose solutions that include also circular recycled elements uh, or whatever so uh, it doesn't have everything to be clearly indicated and prescribed in legislation. I think there are tools that exist to push companies also to be more innovative in this respect. Of course, when we look at the public procurement today, very often they are still uh, unfortunately based on the lowest price. 
and, do, and they do not allow, of course, this. But the, the legislative framework that we have at the moment allows the possible flexibility by public authorities, in particular, to have these elements also taken into account and therefore to accelerate the path, even if things are not uh, prescribed 100% in the legislation. Thank you, Domenico. Um, we have an, another it's a, a comment, really, and in some ways, as well as a question from Celine Carré, saying that geopolitics is suddenly getting closer to the energy transition, and at the root of our dependencies are systemic inefficiencies. Isn't the Fit for 55 our last real chance to anchor the energy efficiency first principle as a driver for the overall energy transition, in particular for new build and renovation? Um, Svetlina, how important do you think this moment is in, in terms of what Celine is suggesting there? And um, are, are we really struggling with these systemic inefficiencies as she describes them? So I was actually wanting, I wanted to intervene in the discussion so far, and I think uh, Celine's question is uh, bringing up to what I wanted to say uh, in terms of that. So um, just a step back from what um, my colleagues already said on the panel, because everyone touched upon a bit on the new production uh, models, more or less, like the, the transformation to new, uh, to new ways of how we produce uh, construction materials, so we're not dependent on uh, some of the, I think she's mentioning the geopolitical dependencies as well in terms of depending on exports, because what we've seen now in the COVID crisis had proven and it was a clear sign for Europe, then uh, we either should try to sustain our competitiveness together with the climate goals, which is quite important the way we do that. And uh, I believe that the speakers uh, before me, like uh, um, especially Kalina uh, uh, Gonzalo, just touched upon that how to use the regulatory framework uh, as a tool, rather as a burden, to be achieving, uh, to be sustaining that uh, competitiveness in the European uh, industry. And I, I genuinely believe this is a very important aspect when we're planning how to do and how to move forward simply because um, what the regulators are trying to do now we're trying to create a framework which more or less uh, protects European companies to a certain extent in terms of rewarding the ones who are willing to undergo that transformation in the upcoming years and to be uh, less uh, carbon uh, intensive in that way, we're gonna we're imposing like some additional uh, like taxes, for instance, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, which is protecting the European companies from some exports coming from abroad, which are not keeping up with those standards. And it's rather important for all of us to be moving in the same direction, because otherwise we're simply gonna lose the competitiveness in the European um, in the European industry when we're speaking like um, in, in that matter. And there are many other legislative proposals and strategies at the moment coming from the European Commission, which are suggesting that we need to move some of the production capacities back to Europe. And those production capacities should be taking into account the new standards we've set into the regulatory framework so we can close the supply chain and at the same time protect ourselves from uh, uh, from price increases, from uh, being so um, kind of subjective to some of the supply chain disturbances that we've been facing, and at the same time 
fulfilling the the green deal and the fit for fifty uh, fit, fit for fifty five package uh, goals. So discussions like that, when we manage to set up some of the projections we have in terms of the regulatory framework, so the industry is well prepared and they can undertake uh, the necessary measure to be meeting those requirements is one of the ways to keep our market quite competitive, both in producing the raw materials on the continent and at the same time uh, for uh, protecting, of course, the construction industry and our consumers at the, the back receiving end. Thank you. Um, Gonzalo, did you want to add something to this part of our debate? Yes, thank you very much. Well, just a quick remark on one of the key points in the discussion now. Because if we were in a normal situation, we could be less ambitious on the political level. But we have the recovery plans and we have the innovation wave will be implemented in the following years. And this is an historical moment for take this opportunity. Furthermore, we have to also to achieve this objective for the fifth of 55. And this opportunity to make a change based on the policy approach and the investment is one per, per in, in life. And this is a moment to take this opportunity. If we don't do it, we will back to the way that we worked before the pandemic. And the innovation ways, we will not have the impact that we want. And beyond that, of course, this, this change should be progressive. We don't want to burden the market, but we want to start working on this. And for the start on this, we have, you have to set targets on circularity, set targets on whole light carbon, but more ambitious, just to work, just to start to work on this. And there is not any requirements on circularity in any law and in the innovation wave. And this is an opportunity that we don't have to waste in the following years, because it's, it's not the same situation as usual. And we have to be aware of that. Thank you. Um, Carlin, let me turn to you. Um, we have an, another question coming in um, or comment as well from Paul Brannan saying that new build and renovating the existing building stock are both very important to reducing energy use via better insulation. But the materials we use must not contain large amounts of embedded carbon. Otherwise, do we take two steps forward and one step back? He's asking whether speakers agree with that. Fulvia, I see you're nodding. Uh, Carlin, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it uh, has a couple of sides, uh, this question that uh, uh, really uh, renovating buildings and uh, the materials we use there uh, have to be chosen very carefully and uh, we have to see in which way, what kind of damages uh, at the end of the day we put in the nature. So at the moment we are participating in the in program of uh, Horizon uh, 2030 when we, when we try to partner with some universities uh, all around the Central Europe uh, and uh, we're looking for really a new construction materials, uh, uh, new construction materials uh, uh, which to be put in the in the future insulation and in the refurbishment uh, uh, of the old buildings uh, all over Europe. So it's very important. Also, I know that the, the construction, the engineers, it's uh, uh, it's not an interesting point, and it's, uh, we are not people who talk too much. But uh, we really have to uh, have to hear the engineers 
uh, who are working on the process and if they can find the new materials, which is a completely new approach, it's not a linear, it's just uh, changing, uh, changing the system. Then we can uh, we can save uh, the CO2 and uh, or other uh, or other damages uh, uh, just by inventing uh, something better. And uh, at the time we have in the next uh, uh, five, ten, or fifteen years uh, to be used uh, to be used for that as well. Thank you, and Karen, a specific question to you then as well as a follow-up. Um, Gloria Hestova has asked about specific challenges in Bulgaria since we do have you. Um, the Bulgarian business has asked for a price index station for large infrastructure projects funded by European programs. How are the negotiations going with the Ministry of Regional Development, she wants to know. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I would like not really to defend, but to explain uh, why the uh, yeah, construction industry is asking for uh, those questions. Uh, uh, there is a huge gap uh, between the increasing of the cost of the construction and the price uh, uh, the construction is paid by the uh, all type of client, uh, no matter public and private uh, uh, or etc. If we look at the change, I mean, of, uh, of the prices, then in, in the metal, we are talking about 100% for one half year. We are talking about 40% of some other important materials. At the same time, we put uh, we put a change, uh, the significant, extreme change of uh, of the energy prices, which are also very important. If we if we take a look at the structure of the cost of the infrastructure, for example, there is a huge link with uh, with the petrol project. We call it products. Sorry, because uh, all the trucks and uh, equipment and machinery, they work with uh, petrol and uh, on the top of it, the asphalt itself uh, has a lot of uh, petrol component at the cost structure. So there is a gap between that and uh, we have to, someone has to cover this gap. I mean, it's not that uh, the construction sector is fighting uh, for a profit itself and it has to be definitely understood. It's just the availability to deliver a product at the end of the day, uh, the product uh, with, uh, with the right at, uh, at the only possible quality and, uh, and that availability. Uh, so uh, we are working on, uh, on that issue with, uh, with the Ministry of uh, Regional Development uh, in Bulgaria. But uh, from one side, it's, uh, it's not very easy because uh, if you start working on each contract, it's required a huge amount of resources uh, uh, from, the, uh, from the state and uh, from the people working at, uh, in, the, in the ministry. And from the other side, if you put just uh, flat numbers increasing uh, uh, of, the, of the percentage like uh, in a high construction or just infrastructure construction, it's probably not fair. And, uh, and it won't be won't be treated well. So the the talks are going slowly, which uh, we would definitely like to to have them faster because the time is running and we are working. And uh, the two components of uh, uh, of not increasing but following the price of the construction materials with the price of uh, uh, of the product uh, and at the same time paying on time, which is very important, not to threaten the liquidity of the construction sector. Uh, they are very important, and uh, we hope that the Ministry of Regional Development will understand us. Thank you very much for responding to that very specific question. Um, since we are talking about liquidity and numbers, um, Fulvia, let me ask you in a general sense, what is the role that can be played by the EU Recovery and Resilience Facility? It's a unique opportunity. What, what is the importance of it? 
Well, we said this is is an accelerator, and I think it's uh, it's, it's worth. I mean, it looks like obvious, but I think is uh, is important to recall that the this plan comes, of course, for the from the uh, um, um, sanitary crisis, so it's due to the actually disruptive effect of the COVID all across uh, member states and the world in bigger terms. Uh, this has been uh, really affecting uh, uh, millions of us, and this has to remain, unfortunately, remains a big, big uh, drama that we've been uh, facing. And the idea is actually to transform that uh, uh, that the crisis is an accelerator for the transition. Is uh, uh, and um, it's important to see that the Commission has been sticking to the original objectives and actually taking the opportunity to put and to design uh, the instruments that be created for relaunching the economy in a way that is fully aligned with the overall objectives around the climate neutrality, more energy efficiency, and on top of it, more resilience for the European Union, which I think is an area that actually we discovered more, we were aware of also before, but now it came to clearer to us that this is an area where we need uh, more uh, um, more thinking and more actually um, enabling. So these are the three dimensions the, uh, where the national recovery plans can really function as an accelerator. And here, let me also come back to a couple of points that have been mentioned before, in particularly the famous NIMBY, so not in my backyards uh, uh, reflects on that actually we see uh, in many different member states, uh, um, region and local authorities, we're saying we all nice for uh, and in favor of circularity, but when it comes to putting the recycling plants in my uh, countries, then uh, reactions are much less favorable than in abstract term. Uh, we'll, uh, we need actually to involve the citizenship, we need to involve the territorial authorities, we need to involve more the local actors and to make it very evident to all of these different actors that um, this circular, a more circular approach, a more resilient approach is actually producing a lot of jobs and creating opportunities for areas that uh, maybe uh, needs actually uh, relaunching from an economic perspective to do it in uh, in a way that is uh, in line also with the objectives. I think it has been said before, we had no intention to um, accelerate the economy and then to face in maybe 10 years time a new big environmental crisis. The objective is to really use the opportunities uh, of the uh, re-acceleration of the economy to also uh, go through the transition towards a greener and, and digital uh, economy and fair um, for all the citizens, uh, uh, European citizens, but also in bigger terms uh, uh, for a fair access to resources. Um, circularity indeed uh, is an is a approach that um, married this uh, together because on one sense uh, it saves or it makes a better use of the scarce resources we have at a planetary level. It creates jobs 
and uh, on a local level because recycling is only happening and particularly for construction demolition waste where the size of the and the volume of those waste actually um, make the, the distance very uh, the transport and the distance very relevant also in terms of uh, economy of scale so it creates local jobs and it does actually uh, reinforce the resilience by making the continent less dependent from third countries. So really not only a win-win, but win-win-win uh, situation. Thank you. Indeed, we, we do try to find the silver lining of this uh, horrible pandemic. And there are some wins, as you say, to be had. Svetlina, your reflections on that as well, the, the role of the RRF that... Uh, that is as a once in a, if you like, uh, once in a generational chance at this point coming out of the pandemic? So first of all, uh, the purpose of the um, recovery and resilience facility was of course, to support the recovery uh, after COVID, but at the same time, it was also to support uh, the green transition. Simply uh, because this was one of our main priorities when we're discussing when we're setting up the the, the new uh, agenda for the European Parliament, for the European Commission in uh, 2019. Unfortunately, uh, due to COVID, we had to, uh, to change a bit the pieces in the agenda. However, with the Recovery and Resilience Facility, we are still trying to get both of those processes going together, recover and support the transition. And you could even see that in the numbers, because you've asked me how do you think specifically this could uh, contribute and support um, the sector, like everything we're speaking about. When you look at the um, ambition and like the criteria that were set up in this facility, the criteria for the member states to submit their recovery and resilience plans in order to be able to receive the additional funding, one of the main ones was that at least 30% of the funding received by each one of the member states should go into uh, green projects. So it's like almost half of the amount of the support financing should be dedicated to green projects. Of course, everything we've been discussing today more or less falls into that criteria. So a sufficient uh, amount of the unprecedented um, amount that's given to the member states, a sufficient portion of that is going to be dedicated to uh, to green transition project, and I think uh, the the construction uh, the construction business in uh, sorry the construction industry in terms of like the the new uh, the new lower efficiency lower energy efficiency buildings and um, renovation of the existing ones completely fills into that criteria and that gap. So a lot of those projects could be financed and support through the um, RRF. So I think it's just a matter of strategic planning of the member states to be achieving that. Well, thank you very much. Um, as you mentioned, Green, I see that Elizabeth Huffer has asked what everyone would define as green on the panel. But um, we are at the very end point of our discussions, and I know we haven't had a chance to get to all those questions. So I will ask each of you for just one sentence or one moment to wrap up your thoughts. Um, Gonzalo, let me start with you for your final thought. Okay, thank you. Well, just to mention that um, yeah, we need to include singularity as the effective tool to reduce the embodied emissions and the CO2 emissions in the buildings. And we need to think about that, like uh, we consider the innovation passport, the smart witnesses of buildings in the PPT, and 
boost this idea and this change. And we have to take the opportunity that the recovery plans and the renovation ways bring us to transform the construction sector in an economic field for promoting social and environmental thriving. It's time to walk the talk and include the whole like carbon and circular approaches effectively at the core of the chains and the policy framework to open new sustainable economic opportunities for all, ensuring a decarbonized build environment by 2030. Thank you. Um, it's more than one sentence, but I like walk the talk as a way to, to leave it. Uh, Domenico, your final thought, please. Thank you. Maybe two short final thoughts. The first one is the one that I said at the very beginning. So it's very nice to focus on environment and circularity and all these technical aspects. But don't forget that if you want companies to do the job, they need people to do the job. And uh, therefore, the investment, uh, similar efforts in training education will be crucial. Uh, I just would like to underline this. And the second message is we haven't addressed it, but uh, uh, we shouldn't forget the crucial role that will be played by the taxonomy on sustainable finance that is working on defining some criteria to determine which investment will be uh, will not be uh, considered as sustainable. And we should not forget that the, the, the clients, the financial institution will use this taxonomy to provide funding, uh, financing, and therefore it will play a crew role also in the implementation of these ambitious objectives. Thank you. Svetlina, your final sentence. I know it gets harder as we go along as people make their wrap-up remarks. So I'll be very brief. So I, I genuinely believe that the regulators and the industry should work together. That's the only way that we could achieve fair green transition and at the same time keep Europe's competitiveness on the global market in all forms and shapes possible. Thank you. And Fulvia? Thank you for the opportunity and uh, uh, indeed uh, let's work together each one from his uh, own point of view, regulators, uh, commission, industry, to make uh, that opportunities of the recovery plans are really an acceleration and opportunity for the in-depth transformation and transition of the construction uh, uh, ecosystem. So let's do it together. Thank you and Callan, I'll give the final word to you to deliver your final message. Yeah, Danish philosopher Kierkegaard say that uh, life is not a problem to be solved, but uh, the experience uh, to reality to be experienced. So let's experience the real situation. Let's not uh, split ourselves to authorities, construction business, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Just as Slavia say, we have to be together at the same boat in order to uh, to save the planet and to work in the in the reality we are. Thank well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for all of you for your input in this discussion today and to our audience for coming up with such a wide range of questions that I think have really helped the conversation along. We touched on areas, everything from disrupting supply chains, energy performance of buildings, of course. We looked even mentioned at upskilling, recycling of construction waste and nearly zero energy buildings, as well as the elements that we need to consider from the point of view of consumers and how policy workers, policymakers and the workers can work together. So a large, huge area and something I'm sure we will be talking about in the coming months as well. So do keep following along with the hashtag EA Debates and keep an eye on your active for much more on this topic.